Hi, welcome to the Spiritually Minded Mom Podcast, where every mom can find hope, joy, and God's hand in motherhood. You'll hear interviews with all kinds of moms who are learning how to navigate motherhood. Most of all, you'll learn that you have a partner in motherhood, a loving Heavenly Father who wants you to succeed and is always there to help you in your most important work as a mother. And now, here's your host, my mom, Dara Trendler. Welcome to the Spiritually Minded Mom podcast. This is Darla, and I am excited to welcome my guest today. Her name is Valerie Cuevas, and we met through our wonderful mutual friend, Jody. and I'm so glad that she introduced me to Valerie. She has an amazing story, and I've enjoyed getting to know her, and I think that you're going to as well. Just to tell you a little bit about Valerie, she is a two-time cancer survivor. She was widowed from her first husband and is happily married to her second husband, which means that she is blending a family of six kids with her husband. And she's happily sharing her life stories of triumph over hard things. And most of all, she has a testimony of Christ, which which I love. And I'm excited to share that with you. So Valerie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So glad to have you here. So tell us a little bit more about you. About you. So right now I'm living in Phoenix, Arizona. And I moved here after marrying my second husband, and I'm happy to be here in the warm. I moved from Utah, so it's nice to be here now. And I'm just enjoying my new life and my new role as a stepmother and kind of what that's looking like and my new marriage and just still continuing to try to have faith through all the little trials that are still kind of showing up in my life, even though the bigger ones are kind of in the past. Right, right. So... I talked to Valerie last week and we were planning this interview and I'm like, you, she can relate to everybody because she's been a traditional mom. She's been a mom with her husband and had babies and she's been a single mom after she was widowed. And she's now a stepmom talking about blending families. And she's definitely has a lot that she can relate. So I'm excited to talk to you more about that. But one of the things I wanted to start off with was just talking about the ideals of motherhood and expectations that we put on ourselves. How have you been able to let go of those expectations? And what was it like when you started out as a mom? And what is it like compared to now? Now? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that I didn't know going into motherhood was that it was going to be ultimately always changing. And even like we had talked about just changing when your child becomes a year older or whether it's like a big life change, like suddenly you're a single parent or suddenly you're a parent to new children that aren't your biological children. It's forever changing. And I think sometimes we get really comfortable and we get really good at where we're at. And then all of a sudden, like we're kind of like smacked right over the head, like, whoa, what just happened? I knew what I was doing. I felt really confident. I felt really good about this. And now like, I'm struggling. I'm fearful. I have anxiety. Like I can't do this anymore. Like my confidence is your confidence smash. And I think the biggest thing for me has been accepting that like it will be forever changing. And that doesn't mean that I'm not doing a good job just because it's changed and it doesn't. And just because it didn't look like it did a year ago or five, five months ago, it doesn't, that doesn't mean that I'm still not doing a good job as a mother. And it still doesn't, and it doesn't mean that I'm not evolving and becoming a better mother just because it's hard. I still have all those characteristics and all those things that built me up through the other years. Those haven't left me. I'm just kind of moving into a different stage where I'm continually being refined and I'm going to pick up more skills in my motherhood. Yeah. Just accepting that the ideal 
mother is not there and the seasons will forever be changing, whether they're small things that make them change or big life circumstances that make them change. Yeah. Yeah. I really think, I mean, you've gone through some really big changes and some really difficult things, but even if you haven't gone through those big, difficult things, you're still going to have to deal with change in motherhood. Like that's just the name of the game, right? So we might as well Mm -hmm. embrace it. We might as well say, throw the ideal out the window because it's not, it's not going to happen and we can just embrace it. So I would love to talk about that first big change that you had. And that was your husband was diagnosed with cancer Uh and passed away. How did you navigate motherhood in that situation? Like how old were your kids when your husband was diagnosed? They were young. Uh, They were still, they were still young. They were all under, under 10. Um, I think it was like three and six and nine, maybe, or just right around, you know, those ages. So they were all very young. And it's funny, my husband, before he was diagnosed, he was a physician. And so we'd already been through residency and anybody that's been through med school and residency knows that like, we joke like that we're kind of single moms because residency hours are insane. I didn't even know that about your story that you had been through all that. Yes. And so I'd kind of been through all of that and that in and of itself, you know, later on, we joked about had kind of prepared me for being a little bit of a single mom. I mean, obviously he was still there and and we would parent together when we could. It's a joke that it's a single mom. You're not really a single mom, but you're doing a lot of it on your own. And so I think in some strange way, as jokingly, it sounds like that really prepared me for then, oh, now he's super sick and he's really not around at all. I mean, he, he cannot parent anymore. And then from going from that position to then now he's gone, he's left this earth and now you're really doing it all on your own. So in some ways I feel like I was blessed because I felt like the Lord was somehow like slowly preparing me, like taking a little bit of him at a time, preparing me for what it looked like, helping me build my confidence that I could do it on my own eventually, even though that's not where I knew it was leading. (laughs) You know, I thought I was going to get him back after residency. (laughs) And I did, I had him for about six months and it was amazing to have him there to help me parent and to be in our lives more. And then six months later, he was diagnosed terminal. And I thought, what? I just got you back. That (laughs) was so hard. Oh my gosh. So it was a challenge. And, but looking back on it, I really don't feel like I was, I couldn't have done it on my own. Like, I really feel that like, as strong as we are, like those hard moments and those times where I just didn't know how I was going to make it to the next day. Like he was there, like guiding me, lifting me. Like I seriously sometimes look back and think like, I don't know how I did it. Like it was so hard, but like every day I was there, I was getting out of bed. You know, people say like, oh, I could never do what you've been through or I could never do it. And I think you can, and you would, there's nothing special about me. Like when it comes down to like your family, your husband, your kids, like you're going to show up as hard as it is. Like they're going to be the ones that get you out of bed and you will do it you do what you have to do. And then when you've tried and you've tried and you've done all you can do, then the Lord meets you and he's going to help you get through it. Like get you through the day to day. 
in however little of a way that looks or however in a huge of way, you know, it's been different from day to day. And sometimes I can't pinpoint the exact point of where he was there helping me. I don't know if it was him sending someone to me outside. I don't know if it was just a feeling he gave me. I don't know if it was him protecting me from some flu virus so I could stay, you know, I don't know. And I don't think we really can know or will know until we like, maybe, you know, we've gone through the veil and we're like, oh my gosh, I saw the little bit that he was showing up, but look at all these other ways he was. I was never doing it alone. Like this motherhood was never just a solo journey. He was there the whole time. I love that. I think that's so beautiful. And I think you kind of bring out that a lot of times we're going through stuff and we don't see him. It's the perspective of looking Mm -hmm. back that, that gives us that knowledge that yes, he was there because hello, there's no way I could have done that. Right. Exactly. You know? yes. um, but, but are there any, are there instances like, especially with your kids that you can, you felt him guiding you maybe what to say or how to help them in their grief or yeah. anything like that? Yes, definitely. I, we were pretty open with our kids when my husband was diagnosed in the beginning, we didn't really know what it was going to look like or how long he was going to live. We knew his time was limited here on the earth uh, after his diagnosis. And so we were pretty open with the kids knowing that daddy is sick. We don't know if he's going to get better because you really don't, you don't know what miracles might stand there, you know, for you or what might not. And so we were pretty open with them and they themselves knew he was sick and they could see his deterioration. He had a brain tumor, which is a really hard way to die. I think not that other cancers aren't, but when your mind is taken and your body is still here, that's a really hard thing for him himself. I can't imagine what he was going through. And then for us to see that, and especially my children. And so they saw his deterioration. I don't think it came as a big surprise when I finally, you know, it was probably a few weeks before he passed away. We were on a road trip home. We had taken one last road trip. We tried to travel as much as we could to be with family um, towards the end, just so we could have those memories and others could spend time with my husband as well. And we were on a road trip home from Lake Tahoe and I was in a hotel room with my kids and I felt the spirit really strongly tell me that we need to tell them that their dad's going to die. And we don't know what it is, but it's coming and it's soon. And I think we always knew that it was, we were near it, but getting that confirmation that I needed to tell them now so that they maybe like could prepare their brains like for the next week or two. I think it was about like a week to 10 days later that he passed. So it really was very soon. And I, so it was scary. Like when I got that prompting, I was like, how do I tell my kids this? Like, they know he's sick. They know he's probably going to die eventually, but how do I tell them that he's going to die soon. Like this is actually happening now. It's not a thing of the future anymore. It's a now, it's a now. And I just remember sitting there and just being like extremely like plain and simple and just like, dad is not doing well anymore. His his medicines aren't working. We're going to take him to the doctor when we get home in a couple of days, but it doesn't look good. And he's going to pass soon. Like his, his time is ending. He's going to pass soon. And of course, you know, they're like falling apart and crying and we're all just sitting there hugging the girls and I, you know, like a big group hug and just kind of sitting there in, in our grief, in our pain together. Cause that's really all you can do, you know, is just kind of comfort as much as you can and sit there and and cry and just be together. And Christ is there to take on all of that for us. 
my job as a mother was like to support them and help them through it. I couldn't help them like through all their pain. Like that's what Christ is there for. And I think a lot of times we forget that as mothers, we think like, oh my gosh, I have to help them. I have to make them feel better. I've got to fix it. And really we're like a partner with Christ, you know, and it's our job to like lead our kids towards him so that he can do his bigger job with the atonement in their lives. Like that's, it's not us. Oh, I love that. That's a thought that I've had a lot. I think it's kind of a trap of Satan in a lot of ways that he tries to tell mothers, you have to be everything and do everything uh-huh. for your kids. And yes. you, it's impossible. You can't do that. And you're that's when you're going to feel like a failure. Yes. But you don't have to because you don't have to be perfect. You do not have to do everything for them. I love what you said. Like we can turn them to Christ and he uh-huh. can any difference that we have, anything yes. that we're lacking, he can make that up. That is so such a powerful truth. And I think it's just a tool that Satan tries to get in our brains that we have to be everything and we don't. Mm-hmm. We, yeah, we don't. We have God. We have Christ. <laughs> totally. Totally. Well, I would love to talk about, so big transition that you went through. So, you know, you're telling your daughters that your husband is going to pass away and then he does uh-huh. so in the middle of all that. And six months later, you're diagnosed with breast cancer. Cancer. Yes. For the, and this is your second time having cancer. This so, is my second time having so cancer. Tell me about that. Like, yeah. I can't imagine. So I had cancer when I was 12 and I had chemotherapy and I had surgeries for that. And it was a very teratoma, kind of a weird cancer to have. It was as a child, but I was able to come full remission and live my life, have babies and everything. Cause, um, I had had some of my, one of my ovaries taken away, but you know, and so I, I feared maybe infertility in the future and such, but I'd come full circle and really was given like a clean bill of health. So being hit with the breast cancer was a surprise, like on many levels, you know, it was like, well, wait, I've already had cancer. Check that trial off. Then my husband had cancer. So I can, I can check that like cancer bubble off twice, right? Yeah. Not three times. Like I really wasn't expecting it. And when I'd had the mammogram and I talked to some friends and my mom and sisters, everybody said, Oh, it's probably nothing. Like your husband just died. Like God's not going to give you another big trial right now. And I wanted to think the same. I was still scared though, because it was my body. And of course, when you're unsure, you just, you just don't know. And so when I was hit with it, it was just kind of like a big smack and like, just hit me upside the head. Like what, wait, this is really happening. Like, How can this really be happening to me? Like, doesn't he realize I'm already kind of down, you know, I'm already like handicapped. There's only one of me right now. And I'm trying to help myself through my grieving process and my children. And now we're going to smack on a really big, huge trial on top of all that. Like, I just felt like the storm cloud was just sitting over me and it didn't know how to move. Like, where was the sun? Yeah. (laughs) Where was it? And in the beginning, I was really quiet about things with my kids. I didn't want them to freak out that their mom was going to die. They had just lost one parent. They were already super clingy. Just that's just part of grief and losing a parent. And from what I've read and studied, like kids will become a lot more clingy. They don't want to leave your side. I sat with my youngest, like through, it was it sunbeams, like for a year, like I just didn't leave her side at church. Like she just, she was fine. And then once her dad died, she needed me all the time. They were scared, you know, and they would even say things to me like, you're going to be here, right? You're never going to leave us. And so then I suddenly had cancer and to them, cancer equaled death. So in the beginning, I was 
I didn't tell them anything. I was very quiet about it. I needed to get all of my testing done. I needed to get my prognosis in order. I needed to get the whole plan of action done before I even brought it to them. And even through the beginning of it, I was still very careful about what I said. And eventually it all came out like this is cancer, but it's, but then I just had to be, had to explain it to them. It's, this is different than dad's dad's cancer. Never had a cure. Breast cancer does have a cure. And yes, some people die from breast cancer, but mommy doesn't have the one that's leading towards that right now. Mommy has one that they can contain, that they can treat and take out of me. And so it was still really hard for them. Um, my mom had to come to town when I had my major uh, double mastectomies, reconstruction surgery. I obviously couldn't take care of my kids and have that surgery. So she had to come to town and they were scared sending me off to the hospital for a few days, Mm -hmm. even with my mom and dad, who they're so close to and love. It was hard to send me off, even though I said, I'm coming home. Don't worry. It's going to be fine. And it was, but it was really hard for them to see all that. But I think as I was able to recover and get better and they saw that she still is our mom. She's still doing the things she could. It was really hard for me to not like serve them and take care of them, even though I had to take care of myself. I felt like they needed to see that everything was the same. Everything was still okay. Mom was just going to be down and out for a couple of days when really you're not really down and out for a couple of days with cancer. But I felt like yeah. maybe that was the adversary telling me like, you need to be everything for these kids. You're all they have. But so it was hard. And I probably pushed myself a little bit, but maybe when I shouldn't have. My mom was really good about being like, you need to be in bed. And I'm like, oh, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm going to be up and going. Like, this is me. This is what I do. I'm their mom. And, but I really feel like my recovery process after my mastectomy and reconstruction, which is a a horrible surgery. I've had other surgeries. I've I've had three C-sections and I've also had surgery as a child with my breast, with the other cancer. And I want to say that this was probably the worst surgery of my life after having like, you know, six other ones, like nothing could compare to the pain, the recovery, the mental, the mental pain. Like it was just the worst ever. And I didn't really expect that, but it was. And then I was about, but I felt like I was doing everything I could to recover on my own physically, mentally, emotionally. And I was about, I went in for my two week post-op appointment uh, to the plastic surgeon's office. And I went to the ladies at the front desk and they were like, Oh my gosh, you look amazing. And you're walking in here and you just look and feel so good. They're like, what are you at? Like what, what post-op is this for you? Like four or six weeks. And I said, no, it's my two week. And they seriously sat there like jaws dropped. Like this is your two week appointment. You, no one comes in here looking like later. And the first thing I thought was like, I didn't know that. I didn't know that's what to expect. I was just doing everything I could to be healthy and get back into it. And the first thing I thought was like, oh my gosh, this is a blessing. Like God blessed me with my healing. Like I didn't suddenly think like, oh, my body's amazing. The first thing I thought was, this is a blessing. Like them responding to you like this is like God showing up in your life. Like he helped you heal like so much quicker than apparently the normal woman does. I had nothing to compare it to until I'd gone into the doctor's yeah. office. And I thought, oh my gosh, he's gonna help me get through this. He sees that I'm single, I'm single mom. I'm the solo parent. He sees And I think me seeing that up front was like, gave me a lot of faith to like, keep moving through it. I kind of got hit with breast cancer at the end of spring. So we were going into summer, which meant that my kids were going to be home. So my kids got dragged to the doctor's office almost weekly with me. I get babysitters once in a while, but sometimes, you know, you just have to 
go wrong. You yeah. gotta, you, yeah. you gotta just yeah. take them. You gotta do what you should do. I couldn't, somebody wasn't always available to serve or I wasn't always available to pay. So it just happened that sometimes they would come with me. And so they saw a lot of what I was actually, the physicalness of what I was going through. And then radiation therapy, which I needed, happened over the summer too. And they would go, I'd have to go Monday through Friday. So they would go at least three days a week. I ended up getting someone to kind of take them on a couple of days so they didn't have to go every day of their summer. But it was kind of just what we were doing. And I didn't make it into like a thing like, oh my gosh, our summer sucks. We've got to go do this radiation every day. It was just, this is our life right now. And sometimes life kind of hands you hard things, guys. And I'm sorry that you have to go to radiation with me several times a week. We have the rest of the day to play and hang out, but I'm sorry, you have to get up and get going. Like this is life. Like all summers aren't going to be full of fun. And thankfully the women that were there, the radiation therapists that took care of me, like they were so good to my kids. They let them come to the back, which, you know, they weren't supposed to, obviously they weren't in the room with me, but they'd let them eat. Like they'd have the snacks for the patients, like the cookies and the soda. And so my kids actually thought it was super fun. (laughs) They were like, we have to go have soda and everything. And I'm like, whatever gets you through sitting through my appointment, you know? Yeah. And I, my mom had thought that she was going to come back through the radiation. She's like, cause we'd heard that like people get super tired and they just can't, they need, she didn't think I was going to be able to take care of the kids like through the radiation. And I said, I'm feeling really awesome. Like, don't come yet. Don't come yet. Like I'm doing okay. I'm a little tired, but it's summer. Like I don't have to be out running them around. They can play at home or play, you know, in the neighborhood with their friends. And I can kind of rest in the afternoons and just, I don't, we don't have to get up early per se. I said, just don't come yet. Don't come yet. And I kept telling her that. And she would check on me every week. She never ended up coming like back through the radiation. And I still feel like it was God, like lifting me through that summer, through that, the surgery, through the radiation, like lifting me to a point that I was able to care and take care of these girls so that they knew that I was going to be okay because I feel like when my mom would come, they would think like something's up. What's wrong with mom? Like, why can't she take care of us? And I think he knew that they needed to see that. And so he blessed me with that strength. Yes, it was. Yes. Radiation was still hard. It wasn't just like a breeze. I still did get fatigued. I had some like, you know, a little bit of like the burning and just little things, but for the most part, like they didn't have to see any of that. And they just saw a mom that was maybe a little tired in the afternoons, you know, after a day. And I know that the Lord knew that if I was going to go through breast cancer alone, that he was going to be there the whole way. I didn't know what it was going to look like, but he showed up in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. That I would have never expected in ways that I just can't explain. Like, why did I recover so fast? Why did I somehow not breeze through, but I used to work actually as a radiation therapist. So it was interesting being on the opposite side. And so I knew what it could look like. I'd seen it in other women and I thought, but I'd also seen some really good outcomes in women and with their side effects and not having many. And so I'd seen the spectrum and I knew that God helped me be on the upper end of that spectrum with like not as many side effects and being able to coast through it a little easier. Yeah. So many blessings. I, I love the way that he blessed you physically to be able to take care of the physical needs of your kids. I'm wondering though, did you ever have any struggles spiritually? What was your spiritual life like during all all that time? Yes. So about three months after my husband passed away, I was having a really hard time. But even before that, I'll scoot back like 
well, maybe when he first got diagnosed, I was having a really hard time. Like I had said before, we had just been through med school and residency, a really hard, you know, time to go through. And we had just gotten to the good part where he like had a job and was making a decent amount of money after making nothing as a resident, Mm -hmm. you know, hardly anything as a resident, nothing as med school. And we had just worked the last 10 years of our life to get to this point, like in his career, like, and financially. And it was like shattered within like a weekend because, you know, we immediately knew he wasn't ever going to be able to work again. And that was a really hard pill to swallow. Yes, I know there is more to life than money and what your husband makes and what his career is. But when you've both had that plan set in place and you've been working hard, I felt like he was the one working hard, but I was the one sacrificing at home with the kids, you know, like not having him around. Like we both worked hard to get to that place. So then have it suddenly shattered and then not know what my future was going to look like. It just made me so angry. I thought, God, why are you doing this? Like, don't you just realize he basically went to school for 10 years and you let him work first. After 10 years of schooling, you let him work six months. Like what, you know, I just, it was hard. And then fast forwarding again, about three months after he died, I think the shock of everything finally kind of wore off. I was able to kind of... I can't remember what the term is. You you slowly start to grieve when someone's terminal, which is in, I feel like in some ways it's really good because you're kind of like pre-grieving and there's a term for this in, in psychology therapy and I can't remember the correct term, but you kind of start pre-grieving because you know it's coming. And so you're losing little bits of them. You're preparing yourself mentally for what's about to come. But then after it all comes, like there's definitely the shock that is involved in like what's really going on in my life and not, and maybe not seeing it as you're really living your life. And this is really real. And so when it kind of all the shock wore off and it was suddenly really real and I saw like everything, I kind of looked back and saw where I'd been and where I'd come and where I was sitting. I was like super frustrated, super upset at God. And I had a really hard time. Like I had, I stopped going to the temple. I took my kids to church and I would sit in sacrament with them. But this is when we had the three hour block and I wouldn't go to class for the next two hours, unless it was with my daughter who needed me in class. But but before I would sit in the hall or in class with her and I just, or sometimes we would just skip all together. I'd say, you know what guys, we're going for a bike ride today. Like we are not going to church. Mom's just not feeling it. (laughs) And so we weren't, you know, we weren't always there. I wasn't praying. I wasn't reading my scriptures. I was just, kind of just, I had decided that like, if God was gonna, was gonna do all this to me that I didn't want him in my life anymore, that I was going to figure out a better way to do life where I could be happy because all that he had given me, it wasn't making me happy. I felt like he'd just taken everything. Like what, you know, what, what was he going to give, you know, what, what was he going to give me? Cause it sure felt like he wasn't giving me anything. It was like, take, 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 take Mm -hmm. for a very long time. And I thought, well, this is the way it's going to be. Sayonara. I'm going to do my life my way because your way, it's not working out. It was hard. I actually remember it was, I think in October of that general conference of like 2016, I had sat down to watch conference. And I think this, that was partially maybe my breaking point where I kind of went down and that was about, because my, my husband died in July of 2016. So about that October, I think is when it finally hit me. And I was watching conference. And one of the first talks, I don't remember who it was, 
was talking about the family and how important like a mother and father are like nourishing and nurturing and just all these things. And I immediately like had to shut the television off. And I wanted to like throw something at the TV. Like I was just like, really? I'm going to sit here to try to be edified when all I feel like is like, it's just being thrown in my face, everything I don't have and everything I'm supposed to have. Like I don't now fit into the box of the proclamation of the family. And that this is all we're going to talk about. So you're just going to rub it in my face about how, you know, I was very angry about how you took my husband. How am I supposed to have the perfect little mother and father family that we can, that I can raise my kids, you know, in the gospel with, and they can have a priesthood leader in the home. And if you're just going to, God, you took him. I, I don't have that anymore. And so that kind of, I feel like was like this breaking and a turning point where I just was like angry and upset for months mm. and led me to my testimony wavering. But the interesting thing is, is that even though I was angry and even though I was pushing away, I still felt a pull and I tried to ignore it. Like, I can't even explain it. It was just like this mental slash physical, just it would overcome my body and I would know it was there. And I would know that it was like Christ, like kind of trying to yank me just little bits. And I would completely just like abruptly stop it, you know, like, no, 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 I'm not going to feel this. I've already decided I'm not going to need your help anymore. And it lasted the whole time that those months where I was going through all that. And I finally hit a turning point shortly before my breast cancer hit. And I think that's why the Lord was, you know, tugging at me so much. Like they like God and Christ, they, they knew like that they were about to hit me with something else and I was not in a good place. And not to say that had the breast cancer not been coming, that Christ wouldn't have been there wanting me to come back or tugging just as hard. But I feel like it was even more so important that I be in a better place. And I had gone out uh, to lunch with a friend who shared kind of his story about how he had used Christ in his life and how he was able to just, even through all the hard, it was a different story, different trials, but the same thing was applicable across the board to myself and everyone else. Like if we just lean in, if we turn towards him, like that's, and through the atonement, like we're going to be able to feel peace. We're going to be able to feel the joy, but I needed to like lean into that pool. And I wasn't, and I literally felt like I had to decide like in my head, like to flip the switch, like the switch was down and I had to flip it up. Like that's all I had to do. But that mental block to just flip it back up, to let him like embrace me and grab me was like a really hard thing to do. I finally decided I just, it was, I just had to do it. It wasn't like a gradual thing. It was like, Valerie, you're going to flip the switch up and try what this guy just said. Like you're going to do it you've been living like so angry and so disrupted for the last few months, like doing it your way hasn't really like, you haven't seen anything like spectacular. Like, why don't you go back and try to flip the switch? Why don't you go back and let Christ back in and just see what he's going to offer you? Like, see what's going to happen. And so, you know, I started going to the temple, reading my scriptures, more, just being more, you know, doing all the things that you're supposed to do and felt like kind of really renewed and like a new hope. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. Like, and the funny thing is I felt like something big was going to happen. 
I didn't know what though, but I just felt like something big is coming. And I thought, you know what? The Lord's probably going to bless me because I've turned back around. Little did I know the big thing that was coming was like another trial. Yeah, that was so <laughs> ironic, right? It was. It was so ironic. But I felt like he put that gentleman in my life to hear that story. He put my dear neighbor across the street, Jody, in my life that was there the whole time, even when I was struggling, just doing little things, not telling me, Valerie, you need to read your scriptures, but just like showing up at my doorstep and serving and loving me just in little ways. Like all these people that were just still like, I was still being blessed in all these little ways in my life, even though I'd kind of been like, put the stop on Christ, if you will. All these little things were still there. And all those little things were enough to kind of help me get to the point where I was where my testimony was starting to grow grand and I was starting to be more accepting of Christ in my life again. And I, looking back, I am so thankful because I needed to be in that good place to get through the breast cancer. He was going to help me physically through it, but I needed to be in a good space spiritually to like get through those next, you know, six to nine months. And I didn't realize that at that time, but I, I needed to be in that place just so I could be a better mother and just so that I could get through that, that trial. Yeah. Great things. But really what it all comes down to is just centering your life on Christ. It does. It, it's so simple. I feel like we try to, a lot of times it's easy. And I've done this in the past where I like overcomplicate the gospel. And I think we yeah. all do. Yeah. There's all these moving parts. There's this, there's that, there's whatever. And I feel like President Nelson is doing such a good job in like kind of just focusing it all back like on Christ. And helping right. us see that it really is so simple. Yeah. It's just because if you just look at it as centering yourself on Christ, you're naturally going to gravitate towards your scriptures. You're going to want to go to the temple. You're going to want to minister and serve that sister because he's at the center. And so it's not going to be like a checkbox of like, mm-hmm. am I, did I read my scripture today? What's on my checklist? Have I been to the temple this month? It's going to naturally just you be wanting to like do those things when you put him in the center. Yes. That is exactly what I've been thinking about. Like even in the last couple of days, like how many times do we just, we get caught up in the gospel of, of a checklist? Like, yes, I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to yeah. do this. And your story illustrates perfectly that you can do the checklist. Mm-hmm. Things are still not going to be yes. perfect, right? Yes. It's not going to turn out mm-hmm. the way that you want. And it, and it puts everything in perspective when we center our life on Christ and that's, that has just been so my thoughts so much lately. And so many other guests have talked about that same thing that mm-hmm. that you've talked about, that it's not about just reading our scriptures because we know that's what we're supposed to do, but uh-huh. everything goes back to the savior and to lo- we do things because we love him and yes. we teach our children because not because we can give them everything, but because we want them to love him. Love him. Yes. And you be know? able to find him and to find him and to be motivated yes. by him. I love that. I'm so glad that you brought that up because that has just been in my heart so much lately. And I want to talk about that more. That's just amazing. But we are almost out of time. And I really wanted to just ask you one question about blending a family because sure, here's another big change in your life, right? Yes. So you have three girls. Your yes. new husband has three boys. Uh-huh. What If you could just sum it up, like what's the biggest lesson that you have learned becoming a stepmother? It probably goes back to a little bit about accepting that my motherhood just looks a little different now. I raised the three girls. And so I knew like their personalities, like 
how they were, their likes and their dislikes. And suddenly I had three boys that I had been getting to know as we were dating and engaged, but not on the level that like a mother knows. And so the biggest challenge was just realizing that I'm still in this mother role with them, but like in a different way right now, like I'm still going to be there, like helping to do their laundry and like make the dinners and just, you know, serve and run them around and do pick up like all these mud things that mothers do. But I didn't have that unconditional love yet with them. And I didn't have, I just didn't know them inside and out. Like I felt like I knew my daughters and that was like the biggest struggle and challenge. And I feel like Satan kind of tried to use that against me. Like, how can you possibly get to a point with these boys? Like you didn't birth them, all this, this negativity. And this is going to sound kind of silly, but one of the hardest things that I've struggled with is making dinner for my family. <laughs> and I know this, I can relate to that. I know this is going to sound strange, but I had it down pat. I knew what to cook for the girls that we would all eat and enjoy. I knew the healthier versions, the ones that were quick, had all the things. Like if we were having this kind of night, I can make this. If we were having this kind of week, I can make these ones. Suddenly I had, including my husband, like four new palettes. So in the beginning, I just cooked what I knew and how I liked to cook. And suddenly like people weren't eating the food and like, I was getting a little offended and I was like, oh my gosh, I cook good. Like everybody loves how I cook. <laughs> and then I got to the point where I was like, I don't know what to make. And it was like, and I got to this point where I was like, I don't think I can cook dinner. And it, it literally was like anxiety provoking. And I know this sounds completely like minor and silly, right? Like the mom doesn't know what to cook for dinner, but it was, I was super sensitive about it. And it was a new challenge and it was something I wasn't expecting. And it kind of just hit me out of left field. And so I realized that I just needed to ask for help. I needed to ask Brent, like, well, what are the things that you like to eat? And tell me more about what the boys like to eat. There was like a simple answer. I just needed to realize that like I needed help. And I needed to realize that even more, just not with the dinners, like I'll be a the store trying to get the boys something. And I can't remember what size they are. Like the girls, like, I just know their sizes. I'm like, what size do I get for this? Or remind me what so-and-so's favorite color is. And I've just realized that it's okay that I have to ask for help in this. Yeah. And I think it's the same with God. Like it's okay in motherhood when we have to ask God for help. Like it doesn't make me less of a mother because I didn't know what to serve the boys or I put the wrong thing on the plate or I didn't know what their size was or I forgot their birthday because I didn't birth them. Like all those little things were making me feel like I was less of a mother to them because I didn't know. And I needed to ask for help. And it was hard. It, it took me a long time to accept that it was going to take time to get to a place and it might never be in the same place that I am with my girls, my relationship with these boys. It's always going to look a little different. And I don't know, my, my heart wants it to be eventually like it is with my girls. And who knows, like with the Lord's help, maybe it can be. I'll definitely need all the help I can get from him to get to that place because they're not my biological children, but I want it to get to that point. I want to have that relationship where it feels like that. And I've always told them too, I'm not coming in to take the place of your mother, but I do want to be a mother figure for you. And I want you to be able to come to me like you would your mother. I know I'm never going to be here. I'm not going to be like her. I'm going to be different than her, but please know that you can always come to me as a mother. And it's looked different for each of the boys. 
and the process in which they've kind of opened up to me as their mother has looked different for all of them as well. And they're different ages too. One's seven and the other two are 12 and 13. And so it's looked different depending on their age and where they were in their life and how they've accepted me into their life as a mother. But I have definitely seen like the little things daily and I haven't like, I haven't dismissed those little wins. Sometimes it's the tiniest little thing. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like that wouldn't have happened a few weeks ago. Look where I am now. And it's these tiny little things that I think like, okay, all these tiny little wins, they're all going to add up to like this amazing relationship with these boys. Eventually, you know, down the road, I know it's going to take time. I'm not naive to that. And my husband and I both know that like building relationships with each other's kids is going to take time. And the relationship we have with our own children versus our non-biological is going to look different. And we just have to be patient with that. Yeah. I love that. I think you, I think if I could sum up your message about blending families, it would just be patient Mm -hmm. and and to know that it's going to look different and that is totally okay. That is yes. I really, I'm so grateful that you would share your story. I'm just sitting here thinking, I'm totally feeling the spirit of everything that you've shared. And thank you so much for being real. Like, you know, you've shared your faith as is just like the basis of everything, but you've been willing to share the hard things that you've gone through with God and just painting this picture of blending a family. It's not perfect. It's not, you're not, you haven't arrived somewhere or that it's just all figured out. And I think that's brings hope. So if anything, your story brings hope to other people who maybe don't have the same struggles as you, we all have hard things. We all have things that we go through. And I'm just really grateful that you would let me share this, share this with my audience. And I know you're going to have more opportunities to share and I'm excited to see that, but I do have one final question for you. I always ask, and that is how have you seen and felt God as your partner in motherhood? So there is this one story. It's, it was about, let's see, it was right after I'd had my major surgery. Um, I was just maybe two or three weeks out from surgery and my middle daughter, Scarlett, wanted a birthday party. And I was like, sweetie, you know, mommy can't host a birthday party right now. I didn't even have the energy to go book it somewhere else and do all that. I mean, I was recovering from the surgery. I was good enough to take care of the kids, but that was about it. Like that was max capacity for me. And I was thankful that the Lord had given me enough energy to do that. I realized it was not a season for a birthday party. This was not the year of birthday parties for my kids. And that was okay. So I had told her, you're not having a party. You're not having a party. We will do something as a family. I will get you balloons. I will get you a cake and we will just celebrate just our little family. And she, you know, had to be okay with it. And so did I. It was probably about a week or two before her birthday party. And I mean, before her birthday, not her party, her birthday. And my, and her primary teacher came up to me and in the hall at church and said, Hey, I just, I don't know why I'm asking you this, or I could be totally off base. She's like, but I just want to know if I can throw a birthday party for Scarlett. Mm. And I was like, what? Like, I mean, maybe Scarlett had said, I want a birthday party in class. I don't know. I definitely had not prayed to God asking, can you please allow a way for Scarlett to have a party? Like that, it wasn't important at that time. Celebrating her birthday was, but not having a party. I didn't ask that. It wasn't a prayer that, but it was a prayer in Scarlett's heart and one that I didn't even know that she was like, would really mean something to. And so I said, 
oh my gosh, how did you, like, how did you know she wants a party so bad and I couldn't do it for her? And she said, let me take care of it. She's like, who do you want to invite? She said, do you want it to be a surprise or not? And I said, let's surprise her because she didn't expect one. Oh, that's so fun. So they invited all the kids from her primary class and asked if there was any of the ones from school to, you know, invite or from the neighborhood. And I somehow got her over there saying that there was going to be some kind of a play date or, or something. And she showed up to like a surprise birthday party. I think all I did was supply the cake and balloons that I was already going to have at my house. And she had games for them and just hosted the whole thing. I didn't have to worry about cleaning up. I just could sit and enjoy watching my daughter, like enjoy her birthday. And as I had mentioned before, God has showed up in a, in a lot of ways, but he shows up even in ways when we're not even asking, you know, ourselves asking as mothers. Sometimes he'll just show up to our our child's prayer that we didn't even know they had in yeah. just these, mm-hmm. these ways using others. She had no, I, she just said, I don't know, like, is this okay? Because I mean, I'd feel a little awkward saying, can I throw a birthday party for you? Like that's kind of stepping on toes a little bit even. So I think, I think back to her and how awkward that must have been for her to even ask me. And I think, Sometimes following the spirit and sometimes ministering can feel a little awkward and it can feel like a little fearful, like, oh my gosh, and ask like, are they going to let me in? Are they going to let me do this or that for them? But I feel like if we're being prompted by the spirit, we just need to ask like, yeah, as fearful as it is. I mean, you just don't know what that other person really needs as strange as it sounds, because yeah. I know I hear a lot of stories of people getting promptings to do this or that when it made no sense. And it doesn't make sense till the after. So, I mean, that's just one of the, you know, the small ways that he, he and this other sister in my ward, like showed up in my mothering, like literally came in and threw the birthday party. Cause I couldn't do that as a mother. I had no capacity to do that at that time. And he showed up and gave this little girl birthday party. I love that. I love that. And it really goes to show how much we need each other, how God doesn't always just do these miraculous things on his rarely is he doing them on his own, right? He's Uh using us. And so sometimes we're the ones feeling that from God. And sometimes we're the ones he's working through. Yes. Help someone else like, like this primary teacher that amazing that she followed through with that and look at the and for her it was a small thing yes it's i can see was hearing you tell the story like what an impact that will have for the rest of your life and for your daughter yes it's it really is a miracle and i i have just loved talking to you valerie thank you so much thank you for having me it's been fun like i said i love sharing my story i just i feel like i wasn't given all these trials to just sit here quietly and not talk about them well, I'm glad that you're talking about them because I know that they, there are people out there that need to hear what you have to say and that will bring them closer to the Savior. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. I know you have a million things to do, and I'm grateful you took the time to listen to today's podcast. I hope the episode helped you to know God is your partner in motherhood. For show notes, head over to spirituallymindedmom.com. For more motherhood inspiration, follow along on Instagram, at spirituallymindedmom. And if you enjoyed the podcast, share it with a friend. I would love it if you would leave a review and rate it on iTunes. This helps more moms to find hope, joy, and God's hand in motherhood. Have an amazing day, and remember, you are doing God's work, and you are doing it wonderfully well.